0: Hello and welcome again this evening to our Bible studies. Really glad that you're listening in again to uh, part four of the Daniel studies. Before we uh, look at God's word, let's we just pray together and we'll ask for God's help. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful uh, to be part of your great gathering the church. Father, we're so thankful that you've placed us in the church at Cape and Ray with brothers and sisters there who we love uh, and who love us. Um, And thank you that we can call on your name like this and we can ask you uh, for help. Father, so we come this evening and pray that as we turn to your word that you would be speaking to us. Father, be shaping the way we think and the things that we desire and help us to live under the rule of our King Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your great grace and mercy in sending Jesus to us. We thank you for your grace and mercy in opening our eyes to see the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy that will bring us safe home to your glorious kingdom in all of its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are in Daniel chapter 4 this evening, so it'd be great if you'd open your Bibles there. I was reading a book this week and it said, the big message of Daniel is that God rules... And he's building his everlasting kingdom and calls us to live in light of that fact. With the uh, light that comes to us from the New Testament and the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, we can say uh, that also the message of Daniel is to keep believing that Jesus Christ is king, even when everything around us says that he's not. And we're going to see more of that message again today as we turn to chapter 4 of Daniel And this really is the conversion of King Nebuchadnezzar. This is Nebuchadnezzar's conversion story. One famous film producer once said that every good story has a beginning, a middle and an end, but not necessarily in that order. And Nebuchadnezzar's story in chapter 4 isn't quite in chronological order. So he begins at the end, uh, verses 1 to 3 is his confession having been converted. We get a similar confession right at the end of, of the chapter, verses 34 to 37. And then in the middle, we, we have the story of, of how he was converted. And that the structure of that story falls into three. Uh, the first part of the story is a dream that he has. That's verses 4 to 18. The second part of the story... It's the interpretation of that dream which Daniel brings to him. That's verses 19 to 27. And then the third part of that story is the fulfillment of the dream. And that's verses 28 to 34. That's a rough sketch of the structure of this passage. And let me just remind you of the structure of the, of the book as a whole. You've got those two diagrams on your handout sheet, uh, and you'll see if you look at the one with the colours on. Uh, that chapters 4 and 5 belong together. Chapter 4 is what we're going to look at tonight, Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. Chapter 5 is the story of Nebuchadnezzar's son, uh, Belshazzar, who isn't converted, but he faces judgment. Uh, And these two chapters uh, belong together, and they're at the heart of this this first section of, of the book, uh, chapters 2 to 7, which is written in the Aramaic language, the, the kind of common global language at the time. Chapter 4 is, is all about... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, let's just remember what we've learned about Nebuchadnezzar or maybe more importantly what uh, Nebuchadnezzar has learned about God thus far he has learned that God rules, that was revealed revealed to him uh, in chapter 2 through a dream, he, he's also seen uh, these three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach Abednego live courageously and wisely in light of God's rule that's uh, chapter 3 uh, and now he is going to come to see that God's rule has implications for his life also. Uh, we've not read the passage yet, so why don't you uh, just pause the recording and read the passage. And then there's a question uh, on your handout sheet uh, under that first heading. Just have a think through that question uh, and then we'll continue on. okay it's quite a big chapter isn't it? it's quite a long chapter and we're just going to work our way through the passage uh, and then at the end we'll look at some application i find usually that when we're looking at narrative stories in the bible this is maybe the best way to teach it to get a, a handle on the story as a whole and then we can see what the main applications are so if we don't be, seem to be doing very much application at the start then don't worry we, we'll get to that towards the end Okay, so the main human character in this passage is King Nebuchadnezzar. And we've seen something of the type of person Nebuchadnezzar is like uh, over the last couple of weeks. Nebuchadnezzar is a bit impulsive. He can be burning with murderous rage one minute and the next minute lavishing gifts and accolades. Nebuchadnezzar is also a man who speaks his opinion fairly freely. So, I don't know if you noticed, but chapters 2 and 3 finish with a kind of confession or statement from Nebuchadnezzar. So, after the dream uh, of the image in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar proclaims when Daniel interprets the dream, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries. There, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges God's revelation uh, but this is far from a kind of humility before God. He's simply amazed that that Daniel has been able to tell him the dream so he points Daniel uh, to a place of prominence in his kingdom. Uh, this revelatory gift that Daniel has might be of benefit for for his own for the advancement of Babylon at the end of chapter three after the fiery furnace incident we seem to be making progress nebuchadnezzar is confronted with the fact that the lord is more powerful than him and he praises the god who saves and those who put their trust in him even if that means going against the king's command he says no other god is able to rescue in this way but this still is not any kind of personal expression of faith he still continues to act like a king at the end of chapter three he's making decrees uh, for everybody else but he seems to be making some progress there's evidence that god is patiently at work in the life of king nebuchadnezzar and as we come to the start of chapter four we see another confession verses one to three king nebuchadnezzar To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. This confession is very different from the ones that have gone before. You can see there seems to be an outward focus. He says, peace multiplied to you or or, may you prosper. Somehow now, Nebuchadnezzar is not just thinking about himself, but he's thinking about others. It's also quite personal. Can you see, he says, the signs and wonders that God has performed for me. In the Old Testament, this phrase signs and wonders is almost always a reference to God's mighty deliverance. It's particularly a reference to the events of the Exodus uh, and the signs and wonders that God worked there in Egypt in order to rescue his people. And in verse 3, Nebuchadnezzar sounds positively Hebrew. Verse 3 is almost a quote, word for word, from Psalm 105 verse 13. This may have been Daniel's influence upon King Nebuchadnezzar as he'd spoken the truth to him. And although these words uh, may have been spoken to the king uh, by Daniel, they have in fact become his own personal confession of faith as as we will see. Nebuchadnezzar is, is like the ultimate celebrity conversion. You can't really get a bigger celebrity uh, than king nebuchadnezzar king of babylon and back in chapter two he seemed uh unlikely material for a conversion and yet here he is confessing uh god rules and, and that his kingdom will last forever how is it that this has come about well that's the, the story really that's told in the rest of chapter four that's nebuchadnezzar's testimony let's uh look let's press the rewind button and we'll continue in verse 4 and we'll find out how it happens. So verses 4 to 34 describe Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. And the first chunk I said of that was this dream. And the dream really is a warning dream. Uh, and the message of the dream is that the tree will fall. Verse 4 finds King Nebuchadnezzar at the height of his powers. His kingdom is no longer just a vision in his mind. It's a reality that he can see. He says he's at home in his palace, contented and prosperous. That word uh, prosperous, I'm told, is something uh, similar to the word flourishing. And that's maybe a hint uh, of what is to come. Actually, we'll come back to this word uh, flourishing at the end. But this chapter in part is here to help us understand what it means to be a flourishing human being but this tranquility that Nebuchadnezzar is enjoying is interrupted yet again by another dream, another message from God and we can see that all of his contentedness turns to fear in fact he's absolutely terrified when he lies down at night, his mind is just full of horror So in verses 6 to 7, he does what he's done before and he calls in the specialists. So we get the list there, magicians, enchanters, astrologers, diviners. And this shows that Nebuchadnezzar's not really learned from his previous experiences. He's still dependent on these Babylonian specialists, dependent on the wisdom of humanity, even though he's seen that that's futile in the past. That shouldn't surprise us, should it? Because we, like Nebuchadnezzar, are also slow to learn. We did not easily forsake our own self-dependence and Nebuchadnezzar's first thought of help is always something Babylonian, anyway finally when he's exhausted the efforts of the specialist he then calls in Daniel Uh, and notice how he refers to Daniel in verse 8, he refers to him as Belshazzar and he says after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. This just reminds us at this point how far away from genuine faith Nebuchadnezzar is. And then in verses 10 to 18, Nebuchadnezzar relays the dream to Daniel. The dream is a dream of a huge tree. The tree is up to the sky, touches the sky. It's a bit like the Tower of Babel in that respect, but this is no man-made building it's it's a beautiful tree that can be seen throughout the earth, and there are echoes of the Garden of Eden here in this description of the tree. The leaves, the fruitfulness, the birds, the animals. This tree seems to be a picture of all that's good about the rule of humanity. It's a picture of power and prosperity. After all, uh, mankind was made to rule and have dominion uh, over the world. That's what we see there in Genesis 1 and 2. This picture of the flourishing tree is picked up elsewhere in the Bible. In Ezekiel 31, the same picture is used to refer to Egypt and Assyria. But the problem in Ezekiel 31 is that pride has been added to power and prosperity. And we will see that Babylon too is not without its human pride. And so because of that, verse 13 to 15, the tree will come down. In fact, the tree will be cut down. A messenger, or or maybe better, a watcher is sent from heaven. God has looked down and he's seen Babylon, a bit like he looks down on the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And the watcher comes down and decrees The tree will be cut down. All that will remain is a stump. It's again another image uh, that is picked up elsewhere in the Bible of human kingdoms and human rulers brought low. In Isaiah 6, uh, Isaiah is told uh, that Israel will be reduced to a stump. And then you can see a change in verse 15. This stump is then referred to as, as a person. You can see it changes from an it to a him. This stump is a man, and this man will become animal-like. He will eat like an animal, verse 15. He will think like an animal. For seven years or or seven times, uh, this human being will be reduced to this animal-like state. This is all in the terrifying dream of King Nebuchadnezzar and then in verse 17 these watchers or messengers announce the purpose of the dream verse 17 the decision is announced by the messengers the holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people that's the big lesson of the passage that's the lesson that nebuchadnezzar is going to learn often uh, if there's a big lesson in a passage it's repeated And in this chapter we see that same verse repeated three times verse 25 says you'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals you will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And then again in verse 32, Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. So that's Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And Nebuchadnezzar urges Daniel then to tell him what the dream means. And Daniel does that in verses 19 to 27. He gives him the interpretation. The gist of the interpretation is, you are the tree, Nebuchadnezzar. And then there is a call to repent. Now it's Daniel's turn to be terrified. If only the dream applied to your enemies, he says. He starts with the good news. That's often a good place to start, verses 20 to 22 is very positive this beautiful tree in the dream Nebuchadnezzar, that's you we get the same description of the tree's beauty its strength, its provision Daniel says you've become great and strong your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth so far so good isn't it except Nebuchadnezzar knows that that's not how the dream ends and in verse 23 Daniel seems to be giving Nebuchadnezzar kind of warning shots as he breaks the bad news he repeats the detail of the decree of the watchers to cut the tree down hoping that Nebuchadnezzar will join some of the dots himself before he gives him the whole picture And then in verses 24 to 26 he spells out exactly what's going to ne- come to nebuchadnezzar he'll become like a beast he will live with the wild animals eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven this is god's judgment on king nebuchadnezzar and it's not just a random judgment it's a it's a revelation really of reality in, in his pride and his power and his opposition to God, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was becoming greater and becoming more more godlike. but he's not. In fact, the fulfillment of this dream is going to reveal to King Nebuchadnezzar that he's actually becoming subhuman and beastly. Psalm 8 is a great psalm to go along with, chapter 4 of Daniel. And Psalm 8 rejoices in the glorious order of God's creation. God has created mankind to bring him praise. And despite his lowliness, God has given mankind rule over all creation. But man is to rule under the majestic name of God. And when people fail to acknowledge God's majesty, they don't become more, but they become less. And Nebuchadnezzar is about to become intimately acquainted with his own beastliness. And until he sees clearly where he he fits in the good order of God's creation, until he acknowledges that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms and gives them to anyone he wishes, he's not going to regain his humanity. And Nebuchadnezzar will acknowledge that. Verse 26 reminds him that there's hope, even as this animal-like judgment is announced. The stump is the hope. Every gardener knows that even when a stump Uh, a tree is cut down, the stump continues to grow and Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom will one day grow and flourish again truly flourish when he acknowledges that he doesn't ultimately rule but that heaven rules and as Daniel uh, finishes his interpretation of the dream he, he calls on King Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge heaven's rule now he calls him to repent to turn from his self-rule and to live under God's rule, that he may truly flourish. Verse 27 Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. As I read those words, uh, from Daniel remind me of the words of the king of Nineveh in the book of Jonah he faced that same call to repent and both he and his kingdom humble themselves before god and the king says this who knows who knows god may turn and relent from his fierce anger how does terrified nebuchadnezzar respond to the interpretation of this dream Well, whatever his intentions were after receiving the message, the reality was that nothing changed. People can make all sorts of promises to God in times of crisis, but true repentance shows itself in action. And Nebuchadnezzar hasn't changed a bit. Let's look at the fulfillment of the dream, verses 24, 28 to 34. Everything that Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar would happen, happened. Verse 28 simply says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. We oppose God's revelation at our peril. Verse 29 and 30 really doesn't sound like repentance, the repentance that Daniel called for. Nebuchadnezzar, is on the roof of his palace. That would have been one of the highest points in the kingdom. And as he stands there and surveys the kingdom, he is filled with pride. Palace roofs are a dangerous place to loiter, as King David found out. It's hard not to be proud when you're on your palace roof. And you can hear the pride in King Nebuchadnezzar's words in verse 30. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Notice this pride-filled statement comes one year on from the dream. God has been gracious, hasn't he? God has been patient. The call to repent has come. Nebuchadnezzar has been given a whole year to acknowledge heaven's rule. As this dream comes to a fulfillment, he will experience more of God's grace. But it will look different to the year that he's had before. God's grace will now look like seven years of humiliation. God will humble Nebuchadnezzar and save him soon as the proud confession comes from his mouth then a voice sounds from heaven verse 31 even as the words were on his lips a voice came from heaven this is what is decreed for you King Nebuchadnezzar your royal authority has been taken from you and as the verses unfold we see the fulfilment of the dream it's immediate the man nebuchadnezzar who was created to rule the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field now in his pride has become like one of them nebuchadnezzar the son of adam grasped to be like god and he has fallen and now he's eating grass out chewing the cud in the field like the oxen he's got a body that's covered in feathers looks like an eagle he's got nails like claws But remember the dream, the stump remained because there was going to be a restoration. And after seven times or seven years, we see the beginnings of that restoration in verse 34. And we see how that restoration begins. It begins with an upward glance. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. A simple look to the heavens, the acknowledgement of the rule of heaven. He begins to see for the first time the world the way it really is. He begins to understand that only God is great. In 1715 Louis the Fourteenth, King of France, died and As part of his funeral arrangements, he requested that the funeral take place in Notre Dame Cathedral. And what he wanted was that all the cathedral would be darkened apart from one candle that would be placed on his casket. You can see what he was saying in the symbolism, can't you? And that is what was done at his funeral. But then when the court preacher Massillon got up to give the funeral address, he walked up to the front snuffed out the candle and said only God is great only God is great and that's what Nebuchadnezzar's learned here and that's what comes out in his confession in verse 34 to 37 this confession reveals that Nebuchadnezzar is indeed a changed man what we talk about often reveals a lot about who we are and what we value And Nebuchadnezzar's words are no longer all about himself, but all about God and his greatness. So there's a psalm of uh, praise and honor to God there in verse 34 to 35. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? This psalm acknowledges that God is sovereign. He does what he pleases. All through the passage we see that God is sovereign in Nebuchadnezzar's salvation. He brings proud Nebuchadnezzar to the ground so that having humbled him, we may restore him. His sanity is restored. His glory is restored. His honor and splendor return. His rule is reestablished and we're told that his rule is even greater than before. But he's definitely a changed man. Listen to his final words in verse 37. These are the last words we hear from Nebuchadnezzar's lips in the Bible. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. That is the testimony and confession of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It's a remarkable conversion story, isn't it? Let's think through some applications for us today. First, the big message of this passage is that God is sovereign, that God rules and particularly that he's sovereign in salvation. Nebuchadnezzar's Conversion and testimony reveals to us that God does whatever he pleases he's not accountable to King Nebuchadnezzar he's not accountable to you or to me he rules and in his grace he saves he is sovereign in salvation as we'll see next week he's also sovereign in judgment chapter 5 follows the same pattern is chapter 4 message from God and interpretation but in chapter 5 there's no God given humility and restoration there is judgment so these two chapters together tell us that God is sovereign in salvation and in judgment and when some people think about God's sovereignty they say okay so why bother praying for, for anyone to be saved if God is sovereign why, why bother sharing the gospel with people Actually, the fact that God is sovereign in salvation should spur us on to pray and to witness. After all, God is able to save even King Nebuchadnezzar, the proud king of Babylon. He had it all, didn't he? He looked untouchable. He looked like he had life sorted. He looked like he was enjoying the good life. If there was someone who, to our eyes, looked beyond salvation, it would be King Nebuchadnezzar. And yet in his grace, God breaks into Nebuchadnezzar's world and brings from his lips this glorious confession of the truth. I wonder who are are you praying for to come into God's kingdom? A family member maybe? A son or a daughter? A friend or someone you work with? Maybe sometimes you just cannot see how it would ever be possible that they would come to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and to kneel humbly before him there seem to be so many barriers their heart seems so hard they seem to be they seem to be so distracted they seem to be uh, so comfortable without god how could they ever come to trust jesus well look at king nebuchadnezzar's story if god can save this proud king of babylon God can save the one that you're praying for too. So keep praying for them. And see how Nebuchadnezzar is brought to repentance. Nebuchadnezzar is brought to repentance by hearing the truth. God reveals the truth to him that he is king and his kingdom lasts forever. He also reveals the truth that the Lord gives his rule to whomever he pleases. And just see that that's not the first time that Nebuchadnezzar has heard that truth. Chapter 4 isn't the first time he's had God's word spoken to him. Remember, he'd heard it years before, back in chapter 2, when Daniel gave him the interpretation uh, of the dream of the statue. He knew that there was a coming kingdom, God's kingdom, that would last forever. Yet he pushed back with his own golden statue. He'd been confronted in chapter 3 with God's salvation, the power of the God who is able to save. And in chapter 4, he hears the word of truth again. And I'm sure in between uh, times, Daniel had been speaking something of the truth to him. And yet it's only here in chapter 4, when all of the wheels fall off, God graciously brings him to faith and repentance. God works... In his own time. He's sovereign in salvation. And that means we shouldn't think anyone beyond God's saving power. Even as the years pass and nothing seems to change. Keep being patient. God is patient. Look at what God brought about in Babylon through the faithful witness of Daniel and his friends over the years that they were there. It's because God is able to humble those who walk in pride that we keep on praying and keep on sharing the good news. That's the first application. God is sovereign in salvation. So pray and share the good news. Second application is to do with uh, flourishing. I said at the start, this passage helps us to see what it means to flourish and be truly human. This word flourishing has become quite a popular word, uh, both in Christian circles and outside Christian circles. But our society's idea of flourishing and the Bible's definition of flourishing are very different. Our society that says that flourishing is self-expression and self-rule and self-definition, the kind of Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way. It could be summed up in the lyrics of the song from Disney's Frozen, Let It Go. That song goes like this It's time to see what I can do To test the limits and break through No right, no wrong, no rules, rules for me I'm free That's what our society says it means to be truly human So when as Christians we suggest that radical self-expression is, is not good It provokes a backlash Why? Because it's seen as a denial of someone's humanity But that is not the Bible's definition of flourishing To truly flourish and to prosper is to live humbly under God's good rule. That's our high calling as people. In fact, that's what it means to be made as people in God's image. And that reminds us this evening that the good life is not Babylon with all of its luxuries. The good life is following Jesus. As we uh, think about application of this passage as well, we also see that it is both global and personal. We noted at the start that this chapter comes at the heart of this Aramaic section uh, that's written in the language of the day so that most people would understand. And following his conversion, Nebuchadnezzar has a global platform to share the truth with the world. And that's what he's doing at the start of chapter 4. You can see he says to the nations and peoples of every language, to all who live in the world. And then he tells them about God's rule. He wants to share his conversion story because the truths contained in it are of global significance. The gospel that Nebuchadnezzar proclaims is not just for some people in some countries, but it's for all people everywhere. It's for us. And as we look at Nebuchadnezzar's story, we understand the true nature of conversion. Conversion is marked by humility before God that leads to genuine repentance. That is, we turn from self-rule to acknowledge his good rule. With true conversion, there is a sober realisation that we have stepped out of our place in the world. And trespassed into God's place and seated ourselves on his throne. And when the Holy Spirit brings the word of God to our hearts and minds. We see that we have sinned and that leads to change. This is true conversion. We don't become a Christian by saying a prayer or walking the aisle or going to church or knowing the answers. We become a Christian when we repent towards King Jesus and trust in him. And in this passage, there's one small pointer to Jesus as the one who would come as king. Verse 17 says, The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Nebuchadnezzar had grasped to be like God and suffered a great humiliation. He'd been brought down from his throne. He became lonely, lowly, but that was because of his sin. And then he was exalted again. But Jesus followed a similar path. Although a much deeper humiliation. And a far greater exaltation. But that was not because of his sin. But because of our sin. So even though Jesus is equal with God. He didn't count that as something to be grasped. But he became a man. He even died. He even died the death of a cross. He came down. Down. Down down, down to be the lowliest of all men and then God lifted him up, up, up and as he came up he brought with him our humanity and now he is the God-man enthroned in the heavens and he calls us to be one with him he calls us to trust him he calls us to repent and so this Conversion story of Nebuchadnezzar becomes very personal for us. We too are called to acknowledge God's rule and to receive His salvation. It's a big, a big chapter. Chapter four of Daniel. Uh, keep uh reading it through and thinking it through. There's some questions on the bottom of your sheet uh, that you can chat through in uh, home group. There are also some prayer points on the bottom of your email. So why not take some time now. Uh, just to respond to God in prayer.